Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Hey, today's show, this episode, we're going to be reconnecting with a global business leader doing big things, especially in healthcare supply chain and beyond. Plus, she's a repeat guest, a beloved repeat guest. We love a repeat guest right here on Supply Chain Now. She made a big splash on a live stream with us. We think back in about eight months ago, back in October 2020, especially with her POV on the critical topic of leadership, but not just leadership, leadership with a strong bias for action. That's what it's about. So stay tuned for an intriguing and informative conversation. Hopefully you'll enjoy as much as I will. A quick programming note, if you enjoy this episode, be sure to find Supply Chain Now and subscribe for free so you don't miss conversations just like this. Also, if you would love to earn your review, uh, those reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get them, uh, help us reach more people and share uh, the POV you'll hear here today with, with uh, many more around the global business world. So, all right, so no further ado, I wanna bring in a special guest here today, Ramatu Abdul-Kadir, a supply chain professional and researcher at Liverpool John Morris University, but also she's a PhD candidate there at that uh, university. So great to have Ramatu with us here today. Good, good afternoon, I guess. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Scott. I'm doing great, and it's so nice to reconnect with you again. Vice versa. Uh, really enjoyed. Uh, it's been too long, first off, but uh, it's good to follow you via social, where where you have got a um, a big following, uh, as you should. You got a, a love your POV and love the work you do and. And we're going to dive more into that momentarily. But man, um, working on your PhD as well, Ramatu, constant, always learning, always learning, huh? Definitely. Have to keep ahead of the cough. We have to be prepared <laughs> as professionals. We can't be caught on our way, even with COVID. Yeah, uh, excellent point. Excellent point. Um, so, you know, what we want to start, uh, folks that caught maybe your earlier appearance or some of your other appearances on on, on, on other podcasts and whatnot, they may know you already, but let's kind of refresh people's, you know, in terms of who you are, you know, remind you the person, let's refresh your memory a bit. So tell us a little about yourself, where you grew up, and, and then maybe we talk about your three daughters too. Okay. Thank you, Scott. Always excited to, to discuss with you. So I'm Ramatabu Gadar, and um, I was born in Kaduna State, Northwest Nigeria. I went to a boarding high school in federal capital, Abuja because I left home really early for high school. Um, that made me grow up fast mm. because I learned early in life to be responsible for myself and make choices. So my days in school were very adventurous. My leadership journey started from high school. I was the head girl of my school and it was a very huge responsibility or so it seemed then. I was responsible for planning and executing all school activities. You read my mind what I was going to ask you about. So, uh, Ramatu, that you said the head head what at school? That's the head, we call it head head girl here. Okay. So that's um like um I don't know the equivalent in America. Like um I lead the entire student of the school. Okay, like um, student body president or something like that sounds like. Okay, yeah, 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 something like that. So you plan you led school activities 
planned school activities. That might be a, a big theme for today's conversation. And that was, and if I heard you right, that was one of your earliest formal leadership positions. Is that right? De- definitely. That was my first formal leadership position. I was responsible for planning and executing all school activities. Um, I had my own deputies and assistants that were helping out, yeah, um, ensuring that students are fed on time at the right time, ensuring that um, afternoon siestas and night preps are held at the right time also. Also making sure that um, sick students are taken to the hospitals, games, inter-house and inter-school sports, like literally taking care of everything about students. And it was really big for me because I was really small then. Yeah. <laughs> and making, uh, <laughs> I bet food quality was something you might've heard about regularly. You had to make sure that was, it was good food delivered on time, right? Definitely. <laughs> we have to, I, I have a food prefect. So for every activity i have a prefect that helps out i have a food prefect that reports to me and make sure that everything is going on well in the dining room i have a games prefect you name it i have all the prefects it's like a government of its own and everybody i was also a very active um, academic um, student engaging in debates quiz competitions with other schools I even got an award as the top three student in the federal capital. And um, wow. so it was um, really very interesting days um, looking back for me. So what you're telling me is uh, you've always been an overachiever. You've always been an engaged leader. I mean, it really is fascinating <laughs> to kind of hear you describe that your early days and early leadership days. And, and for me, who has been tracking what you've been doing, you know, in recent, even in recent days and comparing contrasts, it's the same, same person. And, 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 and I bet you learned so much from that, that you still apply to this day. Let, let's shift gears a bit. So currently you're living and working in Nigeria, correct? Yeah. What's the favorite, your favorite part about living and working in the country of Nigeria? What, what do folks maybe not know about the great market that that is? Living in Nigeria is really very interesting. There's, um, there's no boring moment when you are living in Nigeria. It's a roller coaster ride, whether it's um, working on transformation of supply chains or just plain old shopping and bargaining or starting a business. Um, you have to be ready at all times. So, so um, at one point, I lived in Lagos, um, Nigeria, which is a very big city, if you're familiar with Nigeria. And um, it was kind of crazy, if you ask me the traffic, the people, and the just never-ending cycle of activities keeps you on your toes. So um, after my undergraduate studies, I partnered with a friend and we started a business. That was my first official business in Lagos. So yeah, we started an agency providing services to people such as people and um, institutions such as catering services, laundry, security, sectarial services, babysitting services, you name it. We're just young graduates and we felt we could take on the world and we started this business. So um, one day I paid a visit, a home call to one of my clients whom we had spoken over the phone mm-hmm. and I provided her with what she needed, but we had never met. So I went for a home call and uh, she was taken aback when she saw me and asked, how old was I? Well, that wasn't what I was expecting. I was hoping to score more business because she worked with a large multinational company. I was hoping she could introduce me to her network. And um, so I just told her the first thing that came to my mind, like, okay, well, 
well, I'm a grad, I'm old enough, I'm a graduate and, and all that. So she went on advising me about it that why she's asking me is because this is Lagos and you look so young and you're into this big business. People will try to take advantage of you. You need to be careful and all that. So I appreciated her advice, um, very kind of her, but I also didn't take it for granted. I went back to my partner who is a lawyer and I told her what happened with the client and we're like, okay, we need to get our documents. We worked more on our document, tied loose and, and continue to learn on the business. So it's very insightful. So in Nigeria, very exciting things can happen. Some places are super, super busy and others are a bit more quiet. Yeah. Mm. So, and where you are. so critical feedback that from, from that client. Uh, that that you put right into action. It seems like strengthening the business that you you and your partner had founded. Yeah. So that, that's the power of feedback, right? Regardless if you're an entrepreneur Definitely. or if you're um, you know working different sectors or a big company, small company. You know the the uh, feedback that can be so powerful from not just your customers but also your your suppliers, your colleagues, folks you work for, folks that work for you. The power of feedback can can really uh, be impactful, huh? True. That's um, very true. I, I, I even didn't know what she was talking about. I didn't fully comprehend what she was talking about then, but I still went back and we took actions. And a few months down the line, we actually understood what she was talking about. We <laughs> ran into trouble <laughs> with some clients and all that, but we're able to resolve it very quickly. Wonderful. All right. So speaking of feedback, I don't know about you. We're both parents. I get most of my feedback these days from all three of my kids and whether I like it or not, it's constant. Tell us about, uh, Ramacha, tell us about your three daughters and uh, a little bit about their, maybe their personalities. Yeah. So I, my first daughter is Soda and um, she's going on 16 now and talking about feedback. I get so many unsolicited feedback from her. She's quite a mouthful <laughs> and she thinks now she can advise me and everything. And um, some few months back, I decided, or she decided that she she loved cooking and all that. She wanted to learn professional cooking. So, and we got her enrolled in a catering school, which she learned. And now she thinks my cooking is horrible. She complains about everything I cook. And um, I guess I will just have to continue to live with that. And then, of course, um, Zara, my second daughter, she's going on eleven. She's a bit quieter, more receptive. I would say she's more like me, and um, we get along really, really well. Um, she's more level-headed. And during the during COVID, we we all decided, okay, so what do you want to do? You need to learn something different from what you are doing. And Zara decided that she wants to be a fashion designer. Wow. She wasn't interested. She wasn't interested in cooking, so she wanted to design dresses and everything. And I also got her learning that. And um, we, we're going to have a Zara Couture and all that. She's done some really nice dresses also going on that. And then my third is um, Humaira. She's um, going on 10. And uh, she is um, seemed to be more into drawings and paintings. And she's not really sure what she wants to be. She doesn't want to cook and she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to be a designer. So we're still watching <laughs> to see what's going to come out of that. But feedbacks, I get so many unsolicited feedbacks. Um, nobody listened to me in my house. <laughs> they, they all think I should listen to them. So, I'm, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. And we're going to look back on this one day and, yeah. and wish we had it times three maybe. But but 
I appreciate you sharing about all three dollars. And I love, I love how you're finding, you're, you're really kind of researching their passions and then engaging them and finding, you know, avenues for them to um, explore that and, and dive deeper and develop their passions. So I love that. That really is a kindred spirit with what we're trying to do with our three kids here. Yeah. All right. So I want to shift gears now and, and you kind of, shared some information around what you've done previously professionally. Let's talk about what you're doing right now from a professional standpoint, because you're, you're doing a lot of research. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. And and I want to just share with our listeners, don't let the word research have you unplugged from this next segment because it's, it's, it's more exciting than, than even you can imagine. So with that preface, tell us what you're doing now, Ramatu. Yeah, so I call um, the year 2021 for me as um, the year of research because uh, my previous work, um, I've always been in the field, in the trenches, implementing policies and driving transformations for organizations. So this particular year, I decided to go back to the drawing board, which is very important. So when you're running projects from time to time, you have to also unplug and go back to the drawing board. And I'm currently carrying out a research on healthcare supply chains in Nigeria, particularly on improving performance throughout the network and improving availability of medicines and healthcare service delivery. And this basically includes hospitals at the national level and at the subnational level. My research was born out of my previous work in healthcare industry and seeing problems that seemed insurmountable during my previous project. There were so many lessons that uh, we had learned, but what stood out for me was the need to carry out research to determine the deeper system challenges and how to design sustainable solutions for them. Another interesting aspect is I work with 17 other researchers that are also researching healthcare problems. So I'm not alone. We have a huge cohort of researchers. So it gives me a, a better eye view of the system and how the problems are connected. So some people are working on procurement, people are, others are working on inventory management. There's, there are people working on green logistics, there are people looking at supply chain policies and all that. So my work involves understanding healthcare network and designing sustainable solutions through supply chain integration to improve availability of medicines and service delivery towards achieving universal health coverage. So um, basically, I'm looking at how different supply chains can come together and create value for patients by leveraging on their strengths and weaknesses. I'm looking at policies in Nigeria. I'm looking at um, knowledge sharing, how we can um, use that human resources. I'm looking at um, system visibility, coordination, collaboration, governance, supply chain governance, and even culture and also enabling technologies and how it all fits into designing an integrated supply chain system that's wow. sustainable and works for all. Yeah. So that's that is, what I'm working on. That, uh, that's several plates full that you've described. Yeah. I hope you have some clones helping you, but it sounds like you've got 17 <laughs> fellow researchers uh, and professionals. That, that's wonderful. You know, you, you mentioned technology and, and of course in the healthcare space, I was reading a few months back about how, you know, with the, as we hit the shortage of masks at, at different places around the world and other healthcare supplies, I was seeing where one, I think it was the um, the Veterans Administration here in the States was developing a, a more practical way of using 3D printing uh, to be prepared to print a bunch of, of masks when, when, when it was needed rather than kind of stockpile 
actual inventory. And I thought that was a pretty cool, if that really sticks and becomes a successful approach. Um, I thought that was a pretty neat, innovative learning from the pandemic as it relates to healthcare and, and healthcare supply chain. Definitely. During the pandemic, there was even um, a young child, I think around seven to 10 years in the UK, that started printing um, face shield and um, distributing to hospitals, NHS, and they were so happy. I think I read that story, which was very, very inspiring. Um, so um, using 3D printing is really, um, it's really very, a, a good way of um, decentralizing manufacturing and bringing it closer to, to the end user if we can um, adopt it. If we can adopt it, that would be really good. And um, it's really good for small manufacturing, whereby um, just in time, depending on strategy you want to use, um, that's a really good one. Very yeah. good. Agreed. And I think one of the silver linings of this of this really tough time we're all fighting through is uh, all those real practical innovation and uh, innovative stories. Right. Uh, I always yeah. go back to the automotive companies that have never made respirators and, and they found a way to do that in really short order and, and, and get them here in the States and elsewhere. And, and just that can do attitude that I love across supply chain, whether it's healthcare or automotive or wherever else. So that has been some good news that, that I know our team has clung to through even the most trying of, of weeks. So w- going back to your research, you know, it sounds like you've got a pretty broad scope and, and, and a great big team, which is wonderful. What's, um, are there a couple of findings that might surprise some folks you know, that you have uh, come across? So um, I think um, first and um, foremost, we, we need to understand that there's not much um, attention given to healthcare supply chain research, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, compared to other industries like automotive and all that. All the research is happening there, which is really strange considering that um, health is wealth. Uh, we should be researching more of our health than right. um, electric vehicles. Like you have to be healthy to be able to ride those um, vehicles. So um, when COVID-19 came and also decimated some of the progress that we had made over the years. We had so many problems during COVID-19, price escalation, supplier opportunism. The healthcare system has still not recovered from from that. And therefore, if we we want to talk about being more resilient, there's need to have research in public healthcare supply chain. So my work found um, some interesting um, discoveries. And the first one is on performance management. So one of the first things that stood out for me was that over 75% of our supply chains do not measure their performance, healthcare supply chains now. And um, you know what they say, that um, what you don't measure, you can't improve. So performance management is key to the success of any program. What does, you need to know what does success look like? How would you know when you get there? These are questions that cannot be answered without measuring and managing our performance. How do we improve availability of medicine when we don't know the status? How do we give better service delivery when we don't know our current level of operations? These are all very um, key things that um, we need to know. So the second finding is also about um, supply chain knowledge. So I found um, the lack of basic understanding, knowledge and awareness on how supply chains work and how to improve performance. I've been in the field for over six months now doing my research work. I've met hundreds of frontline operations staff and performance measurement sessions are usually insightful and inspiring also for them. I get a lot of questions. How do we acquire knowledge and basic skills um, of improving our supply chains? Where to get support for improvement? 
And I think this is an area that needs urgent attention. You can only give what you have. And if healthcare workers are not empowered with the right skills, the supply chains will not achieve optimum performance. So my research is helping supply chain managers and policymakers understand their current level of performance and how to prioritize their improvement plans and allocate scarce resources towards supply chain excellence. What a noble mission. You know, I, I think of... Um... I think of large enterprises, and and one of the, the the important things it's tough to do, but one of the very important things that that successful large enterprises do is share information and share best practices or share challenges, right? So the the enterprise, the whole team, can get better rather than have these islands of excellence, right? And part of what I heard and what you just shared is that dissemination of information and education and awareness of what you know, different aspects of the healthcare system. You know, and, and feeding these people that are hungry, these professionals that are hungry for knowledge and, and how to do it better. I, and, and it sounds like there's a lot of energy and interest in, in uh, what you're doing and talking with these hundreds of professionals. Is that right? De- definitely. So um, usually they would want me to like um, commit to helping to improve the supply chains. And um, that's, that's very difficult. I'm just one person, but uh, we need to get information out there so that people that can help can know exactly where these um, supply chains need help. And um, for me, once somebody says he needs knowledge, I, I think um, we have to find a way of getting that knowledge out to these people because mm-hmm. um, they are the frontline workers. They are the ones that are going to make these medicines available for us. So we have to um, rally people around to, to help them. So I hope that my research is going to also help with that, um, bringing awareness to people, you know, not just sitting back and saying, oh, our supply chains are not working well. Well, the people who run the supply chains um, lack capacity and they, they need um, these gaps to be filled. So if we can get that to them, then we we'll begin to see better output from the supply chains. So what you're talking about now is this perfect segue. I'll tell you what, awareness and education. I know you're, you're a tireless advocate for especially education. And what you're speaking to is is not only do we need to make folks aware of the industry, of, of careers, on, on the kind of the career side, right? But also folks are already there. Got to make them aware of, of new techniques, new best practices, innovations, things that, that, that can improve their organization and, and their supply chains. And then once they're aware, we got to find a way to educate them and deliver the information and, and deliver the training or whatever it is. So speak to speak more to... Um, maybe more broadly about this immense need and critical need, uh, which the pandemic has highlighted of, of supply chain awareness and education. Yeah. So I, I think sometimes we underestimate the gaps that, uh, so for example, I, I, before going into my research, I, I also didn't know that um, these gaps were this huge. So I would have taught everybody or almost everybody running supply chain has some basic knowledge about um, how to improve your performance, uh, but to find out that you're not even measuring your, your operations, you're not measuring, you don't have a um, key performance indicator that you are tracking, you know, you are not tracking your costs, you are not tracking your t- delivery time, you are not tracking your inventory tons and all that. So it's, um, it was really um, an eye-opener for me. And I saw that because these were people that were actually doing the work. And I would say they are my colleagues and everything. I, I really felt for them. And I believe that I'm going to use um, any opportunity I get. Even this person with you today is um, a sort of awareness, tell, telling people what's happening out there. 
these are areas we need to work on, not just going off to procure medicines. Let's get more medicine, more medicine. But the people that need to handle these medicines also have some needs and um, capacity building. It's really important to, to, to invest in that and have people empower them to be able to do their work um, mm. appropriately. The percentage, what was the percentage of, of healthcare organizations that don't track their KPIs? So 70, 75% of wow. the ones I'm working with, yes, don't track um, their KPIs. So it's just like um, you wake up every day, you go to work, um, you see patients and you give them medicines. But um, supply chains are not run like that. Mm. And that is why when there's a problem, everything crumbles. You need to know time to delivery. You need right. to measure those indicators and know when you are falling back on them so that you can quickly take action on that. So performance measurement and management, yeah, we need to begin to institute those in our right. supply chains. R- rather than managing by anecdote, we need to manage by by data and, and where the real <laughs> problems, not the most recent experiences or or challenges or whatever, yeah, you know, so that's, that's a huge point. Um, what do you think if you had to, um, if you had to answer the following question, what would it be? Are folks not measuring because it's just a time, it's just a matter of time. Is it cultural? Is it, is there a fear of what the data or the numbers would tell them? Why do, why do you think they don't have the KPIs in place? I think the main thing that um, I see is um, not knowing how to, to, to measure them not knowing the KPIs that are even important. So you mm. can't measure everything. You need, to, you need to be able to determine the key KPIs you want to measure, maybe two, three. You can't measure everything in your supply chain. It's down thing. So the main thing I see is not even knowing what should we be measuring, what matters, because it's not just measuring. What is it that is going to impact on the patient, on the end user at the end of the day? Right. So if um, they don't know what to measure, that's a problem. Um, you don't know how to measure it. It's also a problem. You also don't know how to manage the information that you have. It's another problem. So it's a, a whole gamut of problem, not just, um, okay, I will tell you that, okay, now you measure on time in full. Like for what? If he doesn't understand why he needs to measure on time in full, mm-hmm. that is a problem. So there, there's so many issues. Um, I think it's overall capacity issue, mm-hmm. capacity now, not just performance measurement only. I was able to see performance measurement as, as the end game of that capacity because when people don't have the capacity, of course, they will not perform well on their job. Mm. So, so that is the main thing. Well said. I appreciate you sharing. And I really admire your passion. I mean, I think so many folks are going to benefit from these interactions with you and they're going to hopefully have powerful eureka moments that you know that they'll that they'll look back on a few years as, as metrics are installed and, and as they develop a means of, of not only managing where they are in the current state, but, but improving and being able to serve more patients and, and serve more patients better, more effectively. So um, I appreciate what you're doing there on the front lines. Let's talk about Eureka moments. I skipped over a question I want to ask you, and then we're going to talk about uh, an upcoming event. So what, you know, when you, when you think of, you know, what we've all been globally working through over the last 18 months and, and, you know, times I felt like I was having a Eureka moment by the hour, but what's, what's a powerful Eureka moment that, that you still reflect back on over the you know, last couple of years? Yeah. So for, for me, I think that would be my last project, my previous project. And uh, we, we worked really hard. We worked for over four years trying to turn around the system 
And uh, I experienced a lot of these problems. I'm also seeing now in the field with other health facilities. So it looks like they share the same problems like we had also over four years back. And um, at the point where I was able to get people to just key into that and be able to recognize that um, we can make a difference. We own our supply chain and we can do things differently. And when we do things differently, it also impacts on people's life. I think for me, that was one of my eureka moments where I could see my work really changing people's life. I could see how I was inspiring people, young people coming to me. I still get calls today and people ask me, oh, my daughter is going for this um, course at the university. Do you think she should go for supply chain? And I'm like, well, it depends. So having that... Um, happening around me was, um, it was really humbling and um, inspiring. Love that. Gosh, uh, a ton of goodness there. What about, let's talk about, um, I'm going to surprise you with a question here before we talk about this uh, African Conference on Operations and Supply Chain Management. So I want to surprise you. I'm I'm looking, I pulled up, as I mentioned, I was was getting caught up on what you've been up to and I was over on your LinkedIn profile and, and you've got a great picture where you're celebrating an award of excellence from Kaduna State University for bringing supply chain education to not just Kaduna State, but also Nigeria. And, and so clearly our, our listeners are hearing your passion on education and awareness and, and information dissemination, but you're not just talking about it. Clearly you're doing it. Uh, and I love that. I love by, uh, strong action focused leadership. So tell, tell me before we talk about this event, tell me why that's important to you in terms of this, this award here. And uh, yeah. what, what makes you tick? What, what, what makes you jump out of bed every day to do this stuff? <laughs> yeah, that award, um, I was really excited when I, it was a surprise. I, I didn't even see it coming. I had been working in the trenches. And um, by the time I looked up, uh, we had done so much. We had, we had dug ourselves in so much. We had done so much in Kaduna State supply chain and also impacted in the Nigeria supply chain space. And so getting that award, kind of um, gingers me, um, I'm motivated to also do more, having that recognition of, of that. And um, also um, very recently, I, we, I just concluded with a team of people um, developing the first bachelor's in logistic and supply chain management curriculum for Nigerian universities, which is a big deal. Wow. Um, so those are the kind of things that make me jump out of bed every morning, <laughs> knowing that I'm going to be making difference in the life of future generations, like then I have the opportunity to learn supply chain. I didn't have that opportunity, Mm. but now you have the choice. You can decide, I want to go into supply chain. And we know how critical supply chain knowledge is to to making the world go around. So so that keeps me going um, and not looking back. I love that. And if I heard you correctly, sounds like uh, you and colleagues had set up the first bachelor's program for supply chain management in Nigeria. And that, that is, that's huge. Yeah. As you, as you mentioned, you didn't get a chance to, to, to major or train in supply chain earlier in your career. And now you're changing that and, yeah. and affording the opportunity to the, you know, the current and next generation. Yeah. So that's, that's powerful stuff. Ramatu. Yeah. yeah. It, it made you. me jump out of yeah, bed too. I feel excited. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. That's a win. <laughs> yeah. So Big in win. the next one or two months, that um, in the next one or two months, the curriculum should be ready and any university anywhere in Nigeria can begin to run bachelors in logistic and supply chain management. Wonderful. It's a big one. What a huge component of your legacy that would be. Okay. 
So now let's talk about this upcoming African conference on operations and supply chain management coming up in late July, I believe. You're going to be presenting. So that is really neat, as you should be. You got lots of stuff to share with folks. And I bet you're quite a keynote to um to hear from. So tell us what are you going to be presenting on and, and you know what's one thing that you're really looking forward to beyond your presentation at this event? Yeah. So um all roads lead to that supply chain conference and I'm excited about attending and presenting my research. I'll be networking with researchers from all over Africa and even beyond globally. I'm finding out what cutting edge research is going on in Africa and how we can use that to apply in our healthcare supply chains and make them better. So we're going to be sharing knowledge and um, learning from other supply chains. And the theme of that conference is apt, smart supply chain management in a dynamic environment. I think we need to talk about that. And it's organized by University of Rwanda and the CUNY Foundation. It's the TED conference um, in a series where researchers, practitioners, and industry experts will convene to discuss supply chain research and innovations in Africa. So yes, um, join us 29th to 30th July in Kigali, and I'll be presenting the output of my own research and also hoping to learn from other researchers in what they are working on. Love that. What a great opportunity. I love how you put it, all roads lead to this conference. Sounds like it's a place to be uh, in late July. We'll make sure we include a link in the show notes so folks can, can click on it and learn more and, 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 and yeah. jump in and participate. All right. So Ramatu, we've, gosh, we've worked through, you're, you're, you're so on point with your answers to my questions. We've shot through this interview faster than I had expected. You're, you, <laughs> you communicate a lot better than I do. I use a thousand words when I need seven. And if you need seven words, you're going to find a way to use six. And I, lo- I love that about how you, how we, uh, we talk here. All right. So I'm going to cl- wrap with this. How can folks, you know, connect with you? I think you and I first connected on LinkedIn. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a back and forth. I know you, you do some uh, great blogging and, and, uh, and other work for the Supply Chain Revolution, which is a, a great uh, podcast and community. What, how can folks connect with you? How can, how can they learn more from you and, and you know, compare notes with you after today's interview? Yeah, so LinkedIn is a great place to connect with professionals. That's where we met. And I've met um, a lot of um, exciting and great personalities on LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn. If you search for Ramatabligadar, you'll find me on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. And uh, if you're interested in research, then you can follow me on ResearchGate and um, just um, type in my name and uh, we'll be able to continue this discussion. It's just that easy. Wonderful. ResearchGate, that's a new one for me. So folks on active research, that's a community built, sounds like help make connections happen. Hey, learn something new every day. Um, Well, it's an honor and a pleasure to reconnect with you. I I really, uh, we need a lot more Ramatus um, in in every industry, but you know, that, um, that devotion and passion for finding and then improving things and leaving your mark and, and, and uh, empowering others and, and providing opportunities for others to get better at what they do and and to drive change. Uh, that's a lot of what I heard here today, which, which um, it just reminded me, you know, we, we got all of that last, your last appearance with us. Um, and this has been a great refresher and an inspiring refresher. So thanks so much for your time, Ramatu. Thank you um, so much, Scott. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Well, we won't make it ne- eight months next time. We're going to have you back well yeah. inside of that time frame. All the best to you yeah. and your family. We've been talking with Ramatu uh, Abdul Qadir, 
supply chain professional and researcher and PhD candidate in logistics and supply chain management with with uh, Liverpool John Moores University. Thanks so much, Ramatu. Thank okay. you, Scott. Folks, uh, if that doesn't have you ready to run through the wall uh, adjacent to wherever you're sitting, then you got to check your pulse. I love our conversations with Ramatu, and, and better yet, I love the actions that she's taking. All right, right. That's uh, for us and our team here. It's all about taking action. It's not lip service. You know, it's not enough to, to talk about it. You gotta go out there and do it. And, and that's what I love uh, Ramatu's approach here. Uh, hopefully you enjoy this conversation as much as I have. Be sure to check out supplychainnow.com for a lot more of conversations just like this one. But most importantly, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, this is Scott Luton wishing you nothing but the best wherever you are. Do good, give forward, be the change, be just like Ramatu. And on that note, we'll see you next time right here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.